Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. This week, I'm excited to welcome back Tracy Shukart to the podcast. Tracy is an expert on the energy and commodities markets with prior experience in the Chicago Board of Trade, among other finance roles. Today, she manages an energy and commodities portfolio for Family Office and publishes a newsletter on the energy sector, in addition to being an incredible follow on Twitter with her Shy Girl Twitter account. Tracy, welcome back on the podcast. Great. Great. Thanks for having me. Uh, great to have you back. Before you you hopped on, before we started recording, I was just talking about uh, it's been a, it's been a while since the last time you came on the podcast. The last time you came on February sixth, twenty twenty, oil was around fifty dollars a barrel at the time. We just had uh, flights from China being banned, but nobody was talking about shutting down the economy, and we definitely weren't talking about all the craziness uh, that we've seen in, in the macro economy over the past year and a half or so. So, as someone who who pays attention to the macro, what's it been like just the past year and a half or so? Well, obviously very crazy, right? I mean, first we saw, what, negative $37 oil? Who would have ever thought that would be possible, right? And then, and now we're, um, you know, over $100 above <laughs> above that. So quite the move in just a little over a year. Um, so that market's, you know, seen a lot of action. And obviously we, you know, we saw stocks at their lows um, to making all new highs. So um, it's been a wild, wild year. Yeah, one of the big themes we were talking about uh, at that time was that you know even before the pandemic, there was this big, huge wall of debt coming due uh, for for folks in the in the shale industry. And last year in 2020, we saw a record year when it came uh, to shale bankruptcies. Uh, today, we're we're seeing the market where you know seventy dollar oil that starts to look kind of interesting. So, what what do you make of just the current state of you know U.S. oil and gas production and these these shale players after you go from bankruptcy to now you know maybe producing some cash flow? Right. Well, I, you know, I mean, I think they're obviously in a much better position than they were, than they actually have been since 2016, really. Um, uh, but, you know, I think that they're also going to be, they're going to be a little bit more cost effective. They're going to be a little bit uh, more conservative in the market. I don't think they're going to go crazy. And you also have to look at the opposite end. The easy money is gone from the oil industry, right? So with the onset of uh, ESG guidance um, and whatnot with the banks, you know, they are not looking to fund oil and coal projects anymore. So financing is going to be difficult for these guys. Um, so I don't think that, you know, we're going to see at $70 in oil, then go, you know, crazy and um, open up the production uh, taps like they were just because they just simply won't get funding. Which from our perspective is great as investors, right? Uh, because it, really there's exactly. too much capital flowing flowing to this industry. Shale worked too well and, and really kind of upset the apple cart. You've you seen OPEC, you know, try to try to get things underway. And maybe, we, maybe we'll talk about the ESG stuff here in a minute. Another theme we saw coming out of 2020 is Russia kind of getting on board uh, with right. the OPEC program. Um, and so in addition to the kind of shale uh, uh, maybe being forcibly uh, made to be a little bit more disciplined, you've had the OPEC folks really get on board in a significant way. How do you think the geopolitical landscape has changed uh, over this period? 
Um, yeah, well, I mean, we obviously we saw, I think, you know, after negative oil, after Saudi turned on the taps and then we had negative oil, all of a sudden, um, you know, I think that shocked the market so much that we started to see a, a very different OPEC plus alliance, right? And we started to see them being um, much more, a much more cohesive group um, and adhering to um, and adhering to quotas for the very first time in years. Um, and that's that strategy is paid off in spades. So I think that that will, you know, that obviously will continue. Um, with the new, this new administration, we're starting to see some tensions in the Middle East again. So, you know, that's always, you know, kind of a worry again. Uh, for right now, we obviously have this Iran deal hanging over, um, which in, it, in all actuality, um, they're already producing like 2.5 million barrels a day. The they can probably tap out at, you know, four. So that's like 1.5 million barrels. Um, and the market could actually definitely handle that. And OPEC is completely aware of that. If that uh, production should come back online, uh, they will adjust their, their figures accordingly. In addition, I think that this deal is going to take much, much longer than people think just because of all the opposition that there is in Congress, even though we don't have to get congressional approval. Um, Congress is still going, can put it up to a vote to make uh, to make the executive branch get approval. So um, there's a lot going on behind the scenes, uh, aside from all the headlines. So, uh, you know, I'm of the opinion that it's really going to take a lot longer than most people think. But should it happen, the market actually can handle that right now. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so there, there's been some some production offline. Just kind of fill in the backstory uh, for folks with, with kind of controversies with Iran. To the extent those tensions are lifted and there's no more sanctions in place, that's a lot of oil uh, potentially coming out of the market. Now, you could say uh, maybe not all of that was off the market during this period uh, either. But uh, but you know we'll, we'll we'll come into the into the white side of the market off of the black market um, perhaps. So so when you look at maybe shale getting their discipline together, OPEC you know maybe being more constructive, uh, should we be expecting oil to be in this $70 range? Do you, do you think this is a, a market that's constructive for the oil stocks for maybe the first time in, in a long time? Yeah, absolutely. I do. I mean, I think they're going to be, you know, very, um, I think they're going to be, you know, they're very, they're hyper aware that this strategy is paying off, right? So they might not be exporting as much, but they're making more money because the price is higher. Um, and I think they, that, that somehow clicked in their minds, um, <laughs> that this, this is actually working better for them. Um, and so I think that that will continue. So I think, you know, if we stay in this, you know, um, between Brent, uh, Brent's a little bit higher. So if, you know, if we stay in this, you know, 70 um, to, to $80 range, you know, I think that, um, you know, then we'll see oil stocks hold up, right? Except for, except for today, because Bonds are killing everything. <laughs> yeah, well, well, let's talk about that. So today, you know, oil oil down about three percent. I think right before we hopped on here, there yeah. there was the Fed news, which has been constructive for the dollar. Uh, what, what do you think uh, about the, the macro and, and what's going on there and how it's affecting you know the dollar, oil, it, all this? Right. I mean, well, I think that oh, definitely oil needed a pullback, and it's also options expiration. So um, there's a lot of factors and roll right now. So there's a lot of factors involved, but you know, I. It's kind of very stretched. Actually, all the markets were kind of stretched. The dollar was oversold. Bonds were very oversold. So this kind of seems like a slingshot move because the Fed wasn't really hawkish at all, right? I mean, 2023 is a maybe. We're kind of talking. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't really hawkish. This just feels like kind of a snapback move in markets that were ex to one extreme or another. 
Got it. So, so, so don't overreact too much to what, what's going on with the Fed from a macro perspective today. Not which right. I think yeah, is generally right now, the answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's status quo right now, right? There, I mean the taps are on. Right. Uh, so, so you mentioned, all right, so we're in this, this period for the first time in a long time where oil prices are constructive uh, for these companies. But at the same time, we're seeing these ESG pressures saying, hey, we don't want you uh, producing oil and gas. So there's right. this little bit tension, right? So the economic conditions are strong, but the shareholder uh, maybe conditions not as strong. How do you, how do you see ESG affecting the, the oil and gas market these, these next few years? What's going on here? I mean, I, I, you know, I think that oil's got, you know, you know, I'm, I'm vested for the long term, right? So long term meaning, you know, next ten years out at least for the next decade, you know, we're set to see oil growth, right? In all of the projections, um, especially coming out of, especially out of coming out of Asia and um, Africa. So I mean, those markets are going to still continue to grow, you know, emerging markets can't uh, fund ESG projects, you know, the way even with help from the IMF or uh, from other countries. Um, So I think this process is going to take a lot longer, even though we're seeing bigger pressures pressures in the West. Um, I, I still think the, end of the oil and gas industry is very strong in other parts of the world um, and will continue to be uh, you know, strong here. I mean, we're still consuming, what, 19.3 million barrels a day in the United States, um, the most of any country in the world. So um, I, you know, that, that's not going away anytime soon. And I, you know, and it's a contrarian bet, but I mean, if you, if you look at ESG stocks, right, I mean, pretty much um, for the last six months, all they've done is gone, gone down, right? If you look at like TAN, the solar ETF, or um, any of the hydrogen stocks and, and things like that, um, you know, they really haven't taken off, even though um, we've had this huge ESG push kind of in the media. Yes. Yeah, so so do, do you think... Um... So when you say you know demand, you expect to be strong and perhaps growing over the next decade. It's kind of this U.S. centric story to this idea, or, or maybe Western economy centric story to the the idea of, of of transitioning. So do you think that the whole energy transition narrative is more more narrative than substance? Um, I mean, right now I do. I mean, and I'm not saying that to be, you know, I mean, I think ESG is great. I think it's great if we, you know, have cleaner sources of energy and things like that. But taking that, my personal thought about that aside and looking for at an investment standpoint, right? Because I cover ESG too. Um, Looking at an an investment standpoint, I just think there's um, more opportunity probably because it's so hated. And you have to look at the market. It's been beaten up so much. I mean, it went from 20% of um, the S&P to like 2% of the weighting. I mean, everything's 80% off right now. I mean, that's kind of um, enticing as, as an investor. (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, yeah. When you have bunches of people out there saying this industry is going away and you look at the numbers that saying this industry is still going to uh, going to uh, be around. Another thing that we can talk about is a lot of the biggest players in the industry getting the largest pressure to reduce their oil and gas right. production. So you mentioned this yeah. being kind of a Western story. I think the Europeans are really where you're seeing the largest pressure. BP saying, hey, we're not an, we're not an oil and gas company we're anymore. Oil. We're an energy company. <laughs> uh, you've got this, this pressure from Shell. So you know, talk about what's going on in Europe. And they seem to be at this just accelerated pace of the ESG pressure than we're seeing anywhere else in the world. They do. I mean, I mean, it's really, you know, it's, it's Germany centric, really. I mean, they kind of 
really had that big push in or the country that had the big push in uh in in europe right um but if you look at you know but and they're probably more integrated than a lot of countries, Spain to, um, you know, a lot of Western European countries, you know, are probably are, are a, a lot further ahead than the United States would say, but they're also having energy issues, right? So, you know, energy prices are the highest just yesterday, energy high prices are the highest in Spain um, that they've been in years. And most of, you know, most of the, they, they have some gas, but um, it's mostly nuclear, solar and wind. Um, last year, uh, there was a hot summer and, uh, and, you know, Germany had energy problems. So the thing is, is that the, there needs to be a, like a transition and they're not, it's not a smooth transition and you're going to have problems, you know, just like, um, you know, just like we saw in Texas. I mean, you need to have a mix. You need to have an energy mix, right? You need, and, and you need a transition fuel, which is gas, which is interesting because the EU, um, you know, the new green deal, um, they just decided to go, they, they would go ahead and add uh, natural gas back into that, their, their plan that is okay okay energy source um because i think they realize it's cheap it's abundant and it's a it's a good transition fuel right i mean uh you know russia is, is one of the largest producers of gas in the world you've got the Nord Stream pipeline going on over there that's been very geopolitically charged there's been gas shortages um over in that in that part of the world so, so you see even despite some of these esg issues sooner or later something's got to give uh with, with uh kind of that that pipeline and kind of gas production to that part of the world yeah absolutely Absolutely. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so we talked about Europe a little bit. In, in North America, we've also got kind of activism going on. What do you make of, of what's going on with Exxon? So Exxon, for the longest time, has kind of stuck to their guns with investing in, yes. in oil production. And then you've had this push in uh, uh, from engine number one. And they really didn't buy a massive amount of stock, but they did gain some, uh, gain some board seats. What do you see going on here? And what do you make of Exxon? I mean, I think it's going to be, you know, I, I really liked Exxon just because um, they were the only major to kind of stick with their plan of being an oil company and not being like an integrated um, energy company. Um, I mean, Engine One got two seats. I think we'll need to wait and see. I mean, there is always a chance you could see some upset there. Um, so it is, you know, um, you know, something I'm watching very carefully, but I don't know how much two seats will actually do, but, you know. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that, but it's certainly, you know, it's certainly interesting. And, and that, that only kind of um, makes me more bullish the sector um, of sort of the, you know, the lower tier, you know, middle to, to lower tier uh, companies and frackers in the U S. Right. So, so that raises the, the follow-up question, right? So we're in this world where lots of this activist pressure, ESG pressure on, on the big oil companies, you think of the big oil companies being the most sophisticated operators, the ones that, uh, you know, maybe have the lowest break-evens, that sort of thing. You push these people out of the market. There's still going to be demand for oil and gas, as you said earlier. Who benefits? Do you think, you know, it's the, is it these small oil producers? Is it, you know, Russia and Saudi Arabia? What do you think happens? Well, I think it's going to, I mean, I think it's going to be both like, because, you know, I mean, we have oil flows, Right. Um, you know, Russia and Saudi Arabia uh, produce much very different oil. Russia produces heavy oil. Saudi Arabia is kind of medium oil. The U.S. is very light oil. So there's a market for all of those oils. So there's, you know, definitely a market for the U.S. And, you know, 2015, we just became an exporter. So um, so I definitely think that that this environment that they're creating with the majors is going to be very beneficial for, you know, some of these um, smaller fracking companies in the United States. 
Yeah. So another topic. So I, you know, for you may not know this, but our, our listeners of the podcast know this. I've recently joined the, the Full Canada team, so I've been paying attention to some of the goings on um, in that country. You see, some of the Canadian oil stocks also have uh, been bombed out uh, somewhat, and there's a little bit different environment maybe in that country around around oil production um, than you see from the, the majors in the, in the U.S. What do you make of their positioning? That's another, you know, subsector that the Canadian oil sands folks that they haven't received a lot of love for a long time, but uh, you know, market is is coming to where uh, things could be supportive for them. Yeah, I definitely think the market is starting to be for and yes, oil sands have been hated for much longer than <laughs> than than the you know, than the frackers frackers have. But there's definitely a market for their oil, and you know what is left of their production if you know if uh, the government hasn't totally shut it down. Um, uh, you know, I think that the companies still remaining there uh, will be very beneficial because there is a very big big market for for that. And if they could capture the Chinese markets. Right. If they could get a pipeline, uh, extra pipeline capacity built to the West Coast, um, you know, they could also sell to China, um, whereas most of their oil goes to the United States. Yeah, I mean, that's another scenario we've seen over the past uh, you know, couple of years. Really, really difficult to build pipeline capacity, whether it's the Keystone XL pipeline or you know, we've seen some more consolidation in that space. Do you think we need more pipeline construction uh, to uh, you know, stimulate the uh, oil market or, or is that not, not important? I mean, I mean, I think I think Keystone XL was a big mistake, right? Because it affects two countries. Um, you know, not only the United States, it affects Canada as well because they can't get their oil now to um, the East Coast. <laughs> um, so, and I think that project also is. Um, I think by that project getting canceled, um, that um, that could throw a little bit of a wrench in the Canada-U.S. relations. So when um, other issues come up, such as, you know, the U.S. Um, likes to go after the Canadian dairy industry, um, I think that Canada will put their foot down there a lot more. So, you know, kind of look at other, other commodities, um, trade between the two countries, I think could be affected because, you know, Canada was very upset about that project being canceled. And that is kind of the thing that this all comes back to at some point or another. There's so much international trade going on here, the geopolitics uh, going on in these uh, economies. So before we move on for, from oil, um, you know, so you mentioned kind of small frackers. Are there any names that, that, that come out to you, you know, uh, as, you know, these are the folks that I, I consider, uh, you know, uh, on, on the short list of, of primary yeah, so beneficiaries? I, yeah, I mean, I, I really like Devon Energy. I've, I've liked them kind of for a while. Um, I like uh, Schlumberger for services. Um, what else am I looking at? Um, I kind of, uh, I can't think what I have, have on my, <laughs> what I'm in right the top, I'm not at my computer right now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, or if you want an ETF, if you look at something like OIH, that's just starting to break out of a multi-year, um, descending wedge. So, you know, if you prefer to play an ETF in a basket or something like that, you know, I think services will do extremely well. Yeah, well, so so, do you think that's just like production production coming online to kind of meet this meet this commodity? Uh, because I, I think services has been another area that that has been in a, in a really tough spot. Part of part of what's brought uh, break evens lower is service prices have have come down so much. Do you, so you, so you see, uh, you know, servicers being 
there being a shortage of services or servicers well, at some time I in the think, next few years? I think what's going to happen, I mean, we're, the U.S. is going to, I mean, if we look at the curve right now, I mean, this is a very tight market, believe it or not, right? You know, you have backwardation exploding. I mean, uh, the back end kind of came in about a buck or so, you know, that ZZ spread kind of came in about a buck or so today. But if you look at like UZ, you know, it, it's still exploding higher. So backwardation is still very prevalent in this market and getting more backwardated. That means that, you know, in the future, we're looking at a supply problem. So they are going to have to bring on, you know, more supply, even though I think it's going to be difficult for them to get funding. So, um, you know, services will definitely, you know, will be needed as they have to bring on more production. Absolutely. So, so we've, we've spent a lot of time here, here, here on oil and gas, and I think there's, there's a lot, lots to talk about here. I know you do follow some other areas um, of the macro economy. One of the big themes so far you know, for the year has been inflation. You've seen explosions and things like used car prices or, or lumber for a while, although lumber's cooling back off metals. What are some things standing out to you in, in those areas? Um, well, I think uh, long term, especially if you're looking at base metals, I'm very bullish base metals uh, long term. Again, we've seen a pullback here um, on the technical side. It was it, it was very, very overbought. Um, and then you also had China come in and say, we're going to release from our, you know, our SPR, but for metals <laughs> um, um, so that, you know, because they're trying to control uh prices, but it's very uneven. Say, you know, we're seeing a pullback in nickel over there, but um, stainless steel, for example, is still moving higher. So, you know, I think China's trying to control the market and control commodity prices, but I don't think that they're going to be able to do that because if we look forward and, you know, if we want to meet all these demands for, say, um, for uh, electric vehicles and things like that, then we're going to need a lot of these base metals. And we, we simply don't have it. The problem is, is that, you know, it's not China. China can't control the price if really the world's undersupplied. <laughs> right. So I think, you know, one of the big themes we've talked about so far then that's kind of emerging is, number one, there's the narrative of uh, oils getting replaced by, by these other these other energy sources. However, if you look at demand, still going to need oil. Also, uh, to the extent uh, oil is going to be replaced by some of these energy sources, we need a lot of these other uh, uh, metals and commodities right. and things like that. So, you know, across the board, it sounds like, you know, commodities need to move higher. Yeah. I mean, that's really what I'm looking at over the long term, you know, and I look at it, I'm not looking at it, the day to day moves when I, you know, I make those decisions. So, you know, a lot of people are, you know, are like, are you still bullish after today? It, you know, we came down 3%. Yes, I'm still bullish after. <laughs> um, over the long term, yes, because, you know, because we have all these ESG goals, we have all these, you know, look at all the EV, uh, look at all the car companies that are coming out with new electric vehicles. And we just simply don't have, have the supply. So, you know, um, I like miners, um, you know, things like Vale or Cleveland Cliffs, which is uh, just a metal supplier. So um, those are kind of some of the companies that I'm looking to for, uh, for, for base metals. Yeah, no, no that, that makes a lot of sense as the economy rebounds and we try to restart some of this production and everybody wants houses and all these sorts of things. Uh, you need to produce uh, the, these things. And also there's been massive underinvestment um, in the sector if you look back over Absolutely. the last decade and that bill is coming due. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, the commodity sector is, I think it's going to be, you know, remain strong over, you know, the next five, 10 years, at least, at the very least, for certain. Um, 
just because of all, you know, just because of everything that's happening, the transition is going to require that. And, um, you know, as far as the oil and gas, like we said before, um, you know, demand is still set to grow for out to the next 10 years. So. Yeah. Well, and you know, those mines need, you know, backhoes and uh, all, all those things, those <laughs> mines need, need energy supply too, to, uh, to, to make those things happen. So, you know, it, it, it takes um, some investment. So, so you, we've talked about this, this kind of theme emerging, kind of bring things together. What, what are, as you look out over the next, say, 18 months, right? So maybe the next time you come on, uh, the next 18 months, what are some themes that we should be, be paying attention to in the macro economy and this kind of oil, gas, commodities universe? Um, well, I think, you know, obviously inflation is going to be the big thing, right? Is it, you know, is it transitory? Is it, do we, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, I think the Fed obviously is, you know, can express a little bit of concern, but, you know, I, I think that really, um, you know, they said they would, would let it run hot. So, you know, I kind of believe, and I think Yellen came out today and said, we're not worried about hyperinflation, which makes me worry about hyperinflation. <laughs> um, Looking where the bodies are buried, right. Right. Um, but so, you know, I think that's going to be, that's going to be a big play, right? And then obviously is the Fed going to taper or not, you know, not, I think, you know, I think, I think they're going to talk about it and think about talking about it and then talk about it some more and then probably push that off and then talk about it again. So I really don't really see that happening unless, you know, in 2023, unless it's maybe a one and done. Um, but, you know, I think they're going to fear kind of a repeat of the 2018, right, when they tried to taper and tried to raise rates and quickly had to reverse that. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, the Fed, uh, certainly um, something to watch. One um, Another theme that we've seen kind of emerging, right? I can't tell you the number of times in the past week or so I've seen the phrase super cycle uh, and seen the phrase $100 oil. What yes. do you think? Uh, <laughs> do you think that's hype or do you think there's a real story there? I, I do think we'll see kind of a commodity super cycle only being in the fact that we're going to need so much more, right? And it's just, it's it's expensive. It's energy intensive to mine all of these things. Um, $100 oil, you know, if we even got there, I think it would be so brief, right? Because I think OPEC and everybody is going to uh, try as best as they can to keep it in that $70, $80 range. So, you know, I don't think we're going to see $100 oil this year. I could be wrong. Um, but I'm of the opinion that we probably will not see that. And I think everybody's pretty comfortable at, you know, that $70, $80 range. So, you know, we've moved up so much and so quickly, you know, I, it wouldn't shock me if we kind of, um, were sideways market for, for, for a while. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think as a consumer, we don't really want crazy volatility in the oil markets. We saw crazy volatility last year. We saw crazy volatility with this this craziness with with, with the pipeline. I think I think it makes uh, things challenging. If we if we've got OPEC, you know, pushing oil prices up to a hundred dollars, that uh, you know, maybe is a world that, that wouldn't be as fun to live in. We'll, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that they want that either because that really hurts emerging markets. You know, places like India, um, Africa. You know, they they can't really um, they can't really handle paying those prices. So, um, you know, they're trying their best to keep it where, you know, people are making money and um, emerging markets aren't blowing out. 
Awesome. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for joining me. Always love having you on to talk about kind of the, the macro economy, what's going on um, in oil and gas. Great to get your perspective. If folks want to keep up with the work that you're doing, where can they find you? Where can they see your work? So um, I'm at I'm on Twitter at Shy Girl, C-H-I-G-R-L. Um, and then also I write for uh, Hedge Fund Telemetry. Um, and if you want, you can go on there, but you can get a two, uh, free two-week trial, and you can also read everything that I've written since. Since. <laughs> since, since forever. So awesome, Tracy. I'll throw, I'll throw a link in there uh, in the description of the podcast. Uh, and can't wait to have you back on again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Tracy Shukart, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Thank you.